Podcastle, episode 295, for January 21st, 2014, The Gunner's Mate, by Gene Wolfe. This one is most definitely rated R, as it contains pirates, and we're not talking about Jack Sparrow here, folks. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson, your host and co-editor, and I know, you're all here for pirates. Well, today we have a pretty dark pirate story, not one for the kids. As listeners know, I freaking love pirates, and the ocean, and beaches. Any kind of pirate or nautical stories are good, really, but my favorites are when all the weird stuff happens in them. I want sea monsters, zombie pirates, fishy bitches, probable swords, yo-ho-ho, and a bottle of rum. But, you know, that's what I want in my fiction. In real life, ha, I don't want to live on a pirate ship. I want to live in a cabana on the beach with those fruity little alcohol foo-foo drinks that come with the plastic umbrellas and a pineapple slice. I want a swimming pool next to the ocean, because that's how Magnum and Higgy Baby rolled on Robin Master's estate. Surfing expeditions in the morning and tide pool outings in the afternoon. CSE Cooney poetry readings on the shoreline at sunset. I want tiki torches and floral printed shirts and Jack Johnson playing his slide guitar. Or, better yet, Norm Sherman filking. <laughs> yeah. Flip-flops and grass skirts and bikinis and zinc sunblock and warm rain. I want snorkeling beside sea turtles and tropical fish. Sex on the beach. The drink and the act. Oops. <laughs> Sorry. Got a little carried away there. But, you know what would really be nice? A story that combines both my resort fantasy and my somewhat more realistic, weird, nautical fiction fantasy. Wouldn't that be cool? Podcastle is very proud to present The Gunner's Mate by Gene Wolfe, originally published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Special thanks to Claire Cooney, who helped us out, got a hold of this little dark story for us, as well as Vaughn Hansen of the Virginia Kid Literary Agency for making all of this happen so smoothly. We're really excited to have Gene Wolfe back here at Podcastle. We featured his stories, The Island of Dr. Death and Other Stories, and Golden City Far back in Podcastle's episode 171 and 201 respectively. He's the author of one of my all-time favorite series of novels, the awesomely head-scratching Book of the New Sun, and he just recently published The Land Across. I got to listen to it thanks to Audible putting out an audio version. There's not enough Gene Wolfe audiobooks, I tell you. And I absolutely loved it. It's just as weird and wonderful as you'd expect from him, and surprisingly funny. In no small part thanks to the life-sized voodoo dolls and wonderfully creepy sentient severed hand. I reviewed it over at the Audio Buccaneers website. If you're interested in reading more about it, I'll link to it in our show notes. Our reader this week is C.S.C. Cooney, who's double trouble here at Podcastle. We've published two of her stories, Household Spirits and Braiding the Ghost, and she recently read Margaret Wells's Thorns for us. Cooney just finished up the final draft of a novel called Miscellaneous Stones, Assassin, about a girl from a long line of executioners and necromancers who's born with an allergy to violence. Oh, inconvenient. More recently, she's got a novella at Giganotosaurus, How the Milkmaid Struck a Bargain with the Crooked One, a poem at Stonetelling, The Body Issue, and I'll Dance With You Yet, My Darling, 
Also, her poetry collection, How to Flirt in Fairyland and Other Wild Rhymes, with illustrations by Rebecca Houston, and featuring her recently award-winning poem, The Sea King's Second Bride. Hmm, I'll have to check that out. Oh, and she's got a brand new Shiny Glorious website. We'll link to that in our show notes as well. Cooney is accompanied in this performance by a rogue of lesser qualities, talents, and style, who is, however, a man of wealth and taste. Pleased to meet you. Don't forget my name. So grab some sunscreen and your bathing suit. Meet us down by the beach and enjoy the story. The Gunner's Mate by Gene Wolfe I knew she was the one from the first time she set foot on the island. Muriel, her name is. I heard the others call her so. Dark and black hair with waves in it. Hair like the sea on a quiet night when the moon is hid. She's the lass. There's something about this island, Muriel began. Liza shook her head. I don't like it either. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that at all. Muriel put down her piña colada. It feels, well, welcoming. It keeps telling me I'm home, that it's where I'm supposed to be. You better quit drinking this pineapple stuff. I've only had one, Muriel protested. This is my second. You're on your third. Kirk drank my first one. Can't you feel the hostility? The terrible loneliness? It's like, I don't know, it makes me think of a haunted house 50 miles from nowhere. You've lived in New York too long. Three years, not even as long as you. Liza turned to call a lanky blonde. Come here, Ashley. Portia here wants a second witness. Muriel protested that they had two already. She says this place is just ever so sweet, and I say it's about as sweet as, I don't know, jail, a bad hospital in Arkansas, you know. Ashley put down the rum punch she had brought from the cabana and pulled up a chair. It gives me the creeps. If it's so nice, Muriel, why is this hotel so small? That's part of what's nice. A little hotel with lots of beach and this lovely garden. No crowds. No souvenir stands. No cabs running around blowing their horns. It's the only hotel on the island. The only thing on the island, really. Nobody lives here but the employees, and most of them can't wait to get away. The housekeeper told us. Liza nodded confirmation. But it... Muriel paused, baffled. Don't you see? It's a mountain. A mountain the sea couldn't drown. It was too tall, too proud. It's still here, going up and up, and welcoming palms and vines and those big jungle trees in the garden, welcoming birds and little lizards that look like jewelry. He'll be back. That long I've waited. Now she's come. She's the sign, my lass is. He's making signal for me, and he'll come too. Morgan. Henry Morgan won't forget his old shipmate. Nor his gold. Look! Muriel exhibited her tarnished treasure. Look what I found. Kirk trotted down the beach to look, trailed by Liza. I found it in the sand. Is it a coin? It's not even round, not really. Kirk took it and showed it to Liza. And Liza said, That's Latin there at the edge, I think. There's some sort of cross thing, too? Kirk studied the coin in the sunlight. Coat of arms on the other side. I don't know whose. Is it real? Slowly, he nodded. 
Silver, I think, and very old. It's bound to be valuable. I'm keeping it, Muriel announced. She took it back and put it in her beach bag. Muriel. Muriel. Like sunshine on the water, my Muriel is. The kind of lass you want to hang on to forever. Captain could marry us. Aye, she's no whore. Mine. Mine, I say. I'll kill the man that so much as touches her. Shared that lass in Panama. Like a good one, didn't I? Here, shipmates, have a go, I said. Her screaming all the while. If she hadn't. If she had liked it. And look her she were. A fine wench. Only not like this one. Not like Muriel. There's no other like to my Muriel. Not if you sail the world around. But what about this particular island? Muriel had asked the manager after he had reeled off a brief, inaccurate history of the virgins. What about our island? He shook his head. This island has no history, Miss Stevens. Oh, come on. Every place has history. Not this one. There was no fresh water here, you see. Not for human beings. The birds get by on rainwater, puddles left after it rains, and water caught in big leaves. But no one could live here until we went inland and drilled a well. There's a pumping station and an underground main that supplies the hotel. Because there was no water, nobody lived here till our hotel was built. Dylan had asked, who died here? Dylan had said nothing until then. His slender limbs and torso had been slick with sunblock, and Muriel remembered that bodies had once been anointed for burial. Now she put her finger between the pages and mused on that before going back to her book. Old poetry, because it seemed to her that old poetry meant something sometimes, while new poetry never did. That for itself can woo the approaching fight and turn what some deem danger to delight that seeks what cravens shun with more than zeal, and where the feebler faint can only feel. A bird, a little green parrot with a flaming scarlet head, had fluttered down to perch on the back of her other deck chair and regard her through one bright black eye. Pretty Polly, Muriel told it. She had never talked to a parrot before and found she felt rather as Alice must have when she had addressed the dodo and the mouse, you're a pretty bird, Laurie, and I wish I had a thimble to give you. The little parrot bobbed its head three times and fluttered its wings as if to fly, but it did not. Would you like some water? Muriel recalled what the manager had said about the bird's reliance on rainwater. I could go in there and get you some, or crackers out of the hotel's stash, but I'm afraid you'd be frightened if I move that much. The parrot fluttered up to the railing of her balcony and cocked its head again. It seemed to be asking whether it was welcome, Muriel thought. So she said, I like you a lot, Lori. I'll never hurt you, I promise, or let anyone else hurt you, and I'll never put you in a cage. You can trust me. It fluttered down to her footrest and advanced toward her feet by tiny, sidelong steps. It was too large, she decided, to perch on one finger, but she held out her hand, moving it slowly, palm up. Here. Wouldn't you like to perch on here? The parrot did, and rode on her shoulder when she went down to the cabana. 
After that, it came into my room with me, she explained to Kevin and Alexis. And I opened that jar of cashews from the hotel and gave it some and a big drink of water. I keep the French doors open so it knows I'm not locking it in. She waved toward the front of the cabana, which was open to the sea. Lori can go anytime she wants. I told her that. She's just as free with me as... I know, a bird, Alexis said. I wouldn't let the housekeeper see it if I were you, Muir. She looks like a stickler. It's probably a male, Kevin added. Muriel smiled. I wouldn't want to make Rick jealous, so I say she. And Lori, Alexis added. Lori's a girl's name. Lori, because that was the parrot in Alice. I was sitting there on my balcony talking to a bird, and I thought, Curiosa and Curiosa. From Kevin's expression, Alice meant nothing to him. Does it talk? I think she's trying, Muriel told him. Something about peas. They ate pea soup on those old pirate ships, Alexis told her. Muriel cocked an eyebrow. You've lost me. Well, pirates and parrots go together. Kevin nodded. Parrots live a long, long time. She liked them. I liked both my gifts. And she'll like me. Dear Muir, I am writing in the hope that this will catch up with you on some wonderful dessert island and the desserts do not make you too fat. LOL. Seriously, Muir, I miss you lots and lots. Dad died and I had to stay home for all that and all I could think about the whole time was wishing I was there with you like we planned. Work is good. Tim and Joe are reporting to me now, remember them? Next winter we'll crew on the Oxford and by the end of the voyage he'll be a better sailor than I am. Did you know that captains can marry people at sea? Love, Rick. Lori was gone in the morning. Muriel shrugged and sighed, showered, and did other morning things. It had been wonderful while it lasted, she told herself, and she could not have taken Lori with her when she left the island. New York? That would have been too cruel. Kevin asked to join her in the coffee shop. She nodded, but added, I hope Alexis won't be jealous. We'll ask her over as soon as she comes down. I wanted to speak to you privately, though, just for a minute. Who was that man with you at the pig roast? Kirk, Muriel said. You know him. I sat with Kirk and Liza. Not him. The big one. Kirk was leaning toward her, almost whispering. There wasn't any other one. Yes, there was, you know, late, when we were sitting around the fire. Liza appeared in the doorway, looking to Muriel just then, rather like the writers of Rohan. Muriel rose and waved. Liza, join us. Plenty of room here. Liza grinned as she sat down. I was looking for you, Muir. Who was that fascinating man with you? Muriel could only stare. Last night, when we were singing around the fire, Kevin added, the bass. Liza nodded energetically. Didn't he have the most wonderful voice? I felt as though the waves and the wind were singing, too. I don't know who you're talking about, Muriel said. She spoke so softly that neither Liza nor Kevin heard her. Those muscles, Liza was addressing Kevin, and there was something about his eyes. Too loudly, Muriel said, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm sure he wasn't with you. Quickly, Liza turned diplomatic. He just happened to be sitting next to you, and we wondered about him. A hunk. He had a bandana instead of a hat. Dylan joined the group, adding, Tattoos. He had designs on both arms. And a machete, Muir, a great big jungle knife with a brass guard. Does he guide tours for the hotel, through the jungle, and up the mountain? That was, Muriel drew a deep breath, the most beautiful night of my whole vacation, and you're spoiling it for me. I felt so... I used to have a 
a friend, someone like that, Dylan said. The tattoos, you know, I, I, I liked him very much for a while. He was dangerous, though, and I found that out. Very dangerous. I want to warn you. When Alexis had come in and Dylan had gone, Liza said, He wants to move in on you, Muir. You saw that, didn't you? I'm not after this guy for myself at all. I have Kirk, and that's fine with me. I'm just interested for your sake. The water was above the seamen's knees as they unloaded the boat, a chest, picks, and shovels, and a long bundle wrapped in canvas. Their captain waited on the beach, a man of average height, or a little less, who stood very straight and saw everything with eyes that could have been a hawk's. His red coat was trimmed with gold lace, and his black, loose-legged boots rose as high as the waves that slapped his men's thighs, though the boot tops were turned down. He held a leather-bound book. Muriel stood at the edge of the hole the sailors had dug, staring down at the chest. Two sailors climbed into that hole and accepted the shrouded bundle from two more. They laid it on the chest, reverently, she thought, and climbed out. Remember him before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken at the well, and before the dust returns to the earth as it began and the spirit returns to God who gave it. The captain in the red coat closed his book and tucked it under his arm. Farewell, old shipmate. You were a brave man, a fine gunner, and an honest friend. Keep a weather eye on our money. He turned to the seamen. We'll be back for it, won't we, lads? His sailors muttered assent as they began to fill the hole. Muriel woke with a start, blinked, and rubbed her eyes. The tale the waves had told was over, and they seemed to wait her judgment, murmuring from crest to crest. The beach they washed was empty and silent, the sun hot. She rose, pushing up her straying sunglasses and wondering whether she had sweated off her sunblock. Down the beach, something caught the light, flashing as though a bit of the sun itself had fallen there. She dug it out of the sand, a wobbly round gold coin, somewhat larger than a quarter. I'd like to talk, Muriel told the manager. In your office, where we can sit down, can we do that? Certainly. He sighed, looking wearier than ever. I take it there's a problem? No, she said. Yes, I mean, yes, there is, but only for me. I have a problem, and I'd like to tell you about it. I want to ask you for a job. Seated behind his battered little desk, the manager cleared his throat. He was smaller than most men and looked fastidious as well as tired. Seeing him now, Muriel wondered what he had done before he had been sent here to run this hotel— a department store, she decided. He had bossed the clerks in a department store. Uh, let me warn you in advance that I don't think it will be possible, Miss Stevens. You have no job on the mainland. I'm an attorney, a very junior associate in a law firm. I see. You're going to say that nothing you could offer me here would pay as much. I don't care. In the first place, my job pays very little, and it costs a lot to live in New York. I couldn't live there at all if it weren't for the help I get from my parents. But your prospects? The manager let the thought trail away. Are golden, supposedly. In ten years I might be somebody important or not. I don't care. Wages here are very low. He emphasized the very. I won't ask for any. The set to Muriel's jaw and the gleam in her brown eyes would have startled her friends. You can pay me whatever you like, or nothing. I want a room and meals. Give me those and... One other thing, and I'll do whatever you tell me to. You'll find I'm, I'm a self-starter and a hard worker, conscientious too. I'm not bragging, just quoting from my last review. 
Was he afraid she was planning to sue? She added, If I'm not what you expected or what you need, fire me and I'll walk out without a word of protest. No hard feelings and that's a promise. A small room at the top of the hotel. She nodded. A place to sleep and wash. And meals. She nodded again. I may lounge on the beach when I'm off work, but I won't mistake myself for a guest or hang around the cabana. That's another promise. Sir. Those. And one other thing. Yes, I want... His raised hand stopped her. Not yet. I'm curious. Why? Tell me why you want to stay with us. She swallowed, trying to muster the words. You don't have to tell me, of course, but I want to know. I'll take it as a favor. I'm in paradise. I grew up in Buffalo. I went to Yale. I work in New York. I never knew how awful those places were until I came here. Many people, the manager said slowly, are not quite comfortable here. I know that. I I don't understand, but they've told me. No, I do understand. This island is the place for me, not the place for them. Why, I don't know. And you think you could do hotel work? She nodded. It would depend on the job, of course. I, I can cook a little, but I'm no chef. I suppose I could learn whatever a bartender has to know in a few days. Anything else? Yes? I see. The manager studied his nails, as if wondering whether he should cut them. What is the one other thing? I have a, a boyfriend. Not here. <laughs> You're very observant, sir. You're correct. He's not here. He had to cancel at the last minute when his father went into intensive care. The manager nodded. Um, they're building a replica of the Oxford. Do you know about that? Somebody found the plans. It was one of Sir Henry Morgan's ships. The manager nodded. I think I saw a news story about it. Next year, it will sail the Caribbean for a month with an unpaid volunteer crew. He, his name is Rick, and I have signed up to be part of that crew. I'll need a month off, four weeks of unpaid leave, but since I'll work without pay, if that's how you'd like to do it, it doesn't really make a difference. The manager pursed his lips. In order that you can stay here. Yes, she nodded, wondering whether she was winning or losing. If I had an opening, I'd accept your offer, Miss Stevens. I can tell that you're sincere and that you'd be an asset for as long as you stayed with us. He sighed, toying with a long yellow pencil. The sailing ship business will come at the height of the season, but it really doesn't make any difference. She nodded. I'm glad you agree. It doesn't, the manager said slowly, because it's a year off. You'd tire of our island and your new position long before the year was out. She shook her head, and he smiled bitterly. You may trust me on that, Miss Stevens. Personnel turnover in the hotel field is high. Here at our hotel, it is higher than average. There must be something I can do. Her hands had clenched of themselves. She forced them to unclench. Can't you use another waitress? No. You would work without pay, I know. You don't have to tell me so again. You would, but I couldn't take you up on that offer. I'd have to put you on the payroll at minimum wage, and I'm not authorized another employee. Give me your number back on the mainland, and I'll notify you as soon as I have an opening. As though he sensed her despair, he added, Which will be soon. Remember what I told you about turnover. Muriel had set out to climb the mountain alone, and had, to her own surprise, made it two-thirds of the way before she had been forced to turn back. Now, scratched, soaked with perspiration, and bone-weary, she had just stumbled out of the night into the soft light of the rather too-air-conditioned lobby. Someone screamed, and moved by an instinct far older than the human race, she dashed to the screamer to provide whatever help she could— 
The woman, a large woman in a flowered print, screamed again. Muriel dropped to her knees and embraced her. He-he-he attacked you, Muriel said. I understand. We'll get, get you to a doctor. Were there police on the island? Cut me! He cut me! Calm down. The light was weak and watery, but it seemed to Muriel that there was no blood. You're shaking like a leaf. The large woman shut her eyes and screamed again. At once, or so it seemed to Muriel when she recalled it later, there were a dozen other people standing or kneeling around them. He cut me, the large woman repeated. He was, was, was. She closed her eyes and screamed once more. There was terror in that scream, as there had been in the others. There was an aching agony beneath the terror. It might have been the scream of a soul in hell. The boat from the big island took the large woman away. By the time she had been sedated and led aboard, Muriel had been told by a dozen acquaintances that the large woman was, had been, the housekeeper, and had learned to speak of her as Mrs. Shaw. Rick! She gaped, and he grinned. Almost before gape or grin began, they rushed together, a long kiss and another and another. Then she was somehow holding his bag, and he was carrying her and his bag, too. She cradled in his arms like a child, and his bag in her lap held there only when her arms were not around his neck. Eventually, they sat in cabana, she with a pina colada, he with rum and cola. They were, to put it mildly, soon joined by others. "'This is Rick, Alexis,' Muriel said a trifle formally. "'I've told you about him. Rick, this is my friend Alexis Bennett.' "'Rick, this is Alexis's friend Dylan.' "'Wait up!' Alexis banged her own piña colada, probably her third, Muriel decided, down on the table. "'Rick, you couldn't come with Muriel. There was a death in the family?' Rick nodded and stopped smiling. "'My father. So what the hell are you doing here all of a sudden?' "'Joining Muriel?' The smile had not come back. I went to my dad's funeral. I stood there and watched while the coffin was let down into the grave. Rick paused. All that rubbish. I should have been there when he went into the hospital. It would have counted for something. It would have mattered, at least to him. When I got there, he was as good as dead, and it was all formality, just a song and dance to comfort the living. Rick got a direct flight to St. Thomas as soon as he could, Muriel explained to the group at large. He has three days leave left. When they're up, we'll go back together. Liza said, I thought you wanted to stay here. I do. I want to be with Rick, too. I can't do both. Or not right now, at least. Next year, we'll be back. She paused. I may be back before then. I don't know. Kirk spoke to Rick. This island is haunted. Don't say nobody told you. Someone else asked, did you see the crazy woman? And he shook his head. You must have, Alexis said. They had her right there at the pier when you got off. Alexis looked sunburned, and Muriel knew in that moment that Alexis was older than she had ever supposed. She thought her arm had been cut off. A man was hiding in her room, this is what she said, and when she came in, he cut it off. It wasn't off, of course, but it just hung there. The sympathy in Alexis's face looked tough and a little wilted, like cabbage pulled from a dumpster. Paralyzed, someone else put in. Nothing anyone said after that mattered to Muriel. She was looking at Rick who had raised his drink and sat down again untasted. Around them, meaningless sounds ebbed and flowed. I love you, he whispered. She nodded, her mouth dry. I love you too. It sounded horribly inadequate. He rose and she with him. Mirror, I'm going on a walk down the beach. I don't know how far. He shrugged and his eyes left hers to peer sightlessly out to sea. 
Clear around the island, maybe, if that's possible. Dad's gone, and there's my job, and you, and this island you love so much, and a hundred other things. All sorts of things. I have to sort them out. Some of them, anyway. If you're angry, I don't blame you, but it's been days now since I've had a real chance to think, and I've got to do it before I make some god-awful mistake. I'm not mad, Muriel said. And then, come back to me? I will. Suddenly, his smile was in place again, shining as though it had never gone. I'll be back. And that's a promise. She had waited there in the cabana, apart from the others, until the bartender had come to tell her the manager needed to see her. It's urgent, the bartender whispered. He needs to see you right away. At first, she had hardly heard him, but when he had repeated his message, she nodded and rose. Are you from Iowa? He had shaken his head, a lean blonde kid about twenty, with hands that seemed a trifle too large. Why did you think that? Um, you look it, that's all. And he had shaken his head again and muttered, Wisconsin. Philadelphia, she thought, when she was back in the hotel and looking at the manager. Philly, or maybe Baltimore. I have good news, and I have bad news. The manager was making an effort to smile. You know about Mrs. Shaw. You were the one who found her first, as I remember. Muriel nodded. The manager swallowed visibly. My good news is that a position has opened up now. Not a menial position, a management position. Muriel nodded again. Mrs. Shawls, of course. You were the first to speak to her, I believe. Yes, Muriel said. I was. Our staff is divided by function, with the manager in charge of each function reporting to me. The housekeeper is the most important subordinate I have. It is her duty to supervise the maids. It has been my experience that no other area requires so much supervision. Our cooks will produce good meals even if they are left unsupervised. There may be some fall-off in elegance of presentation, but other deterioration comes slowly, if at all. Our cooks take an admirable pride in their work. Our wait staff and bartenders work largely for tips and thus strive to please our guests. The bell staff is the same. The manager tapped the top of his battered little desk and took a moment to stare out the window. The maids are a different proposition, very different indeed. They are rarely tipped, and our guests rarely see them working. Yet the reputation of the hotel depends very largely upon the work they do. They need constant supervision, and that supervision must be firm but fair. Do you think you can provide it? You said you had bad news as well as good. Perhaps I should hear the bad news, too. I hope it's not that Mrs. Shaw won't recover. It is not. The manager glanced at his watch. I'd like to buy you dinner, Miss Stevens. Are you as hungry as I am? Yes, she said, though only after she had agreed did she realize it was true. Furthermore, dinner would give her time to think, which was vastly more important. More important still, she might see Rick if he had returned from his hike. I'd like that very much, sir. It's, it's very generous of you. They ate in the dining room, although she had hoped for the coffee shop. The manager ordered a Bloody Mary, she a glass of white wine, after some debate, they agreed to split an appetizer of coconut shrimp and told a waitress who was plainly bemused to see him dining with a guest. It's rather nice, he told Muriel, working and living in a hotel. Food whenever you want it and a place to nap when your work keeps you up half the night. Nice not just for me, but for our bell captain, our maintenance engineer, and the other managers. You will find it so too, Miss Stevens. Or so I hope. Drinks arrived and she smiled and sipped her wine, waiting. You asked whether poor Mrs. Shaw was expected to recover. At this stage, I doubt that anyone can say. After six weeks, her doctors may have some idea. The manager coughed. <clears throat> With these mental cases, one never knows. Even so, 
You understand, I hope, Miss Stevens, that if her position here is filled in her absence, top management will reassign her. The company has more than 50 inns and hotels altogether. Their coconut shrimp arrived. He ordered grilled grouper. She, pollo con piña a la antigua. You wanted my bad news. He looked around at the tables nearest theirs. All were empty. Very well, you have a right to hear it. It is that there is a rebellion brewing among our maids. He paused to let her speak, but she did not. Superstition, of course, mere superstition. They are afraid, and each frightens the other. Some of them have hardly courage enough to enter the rooms they are to clean. Phantom attackers. The manager took a long swallow from his Bloody Mary and patted his lips with his napkin. It's quite difficult to retain maids here, Miss Stevens. We're remote. You understand, I'm sure. We must have women without families, unless they're married to male staff members, as a few are. There are no shops. We try to make allowances and see to it that each gets a few days off on the big island every month. Still, it's hard. We lose maids throughout the season, one in December and two in January, only too often. This is the first time the whole group has ever threatened to resign in mass. Your first task, if you take the job, will be to keep as many as you can. He waited, licking his lips, while she chewed and swallowed half a coconut shrimp. At length, she said, I understand, sir. It would be wonderful if you could persuade them all to stay, but I don't expect it. Frankly, I think that will be impossible, but keep as many as you can. That's all I ask. You are persuasive, and I'm counting on you to exert your powers on them. Will you take the job? I don't know, Muriel said. I might. He smiled, as though she had agreed. Good. That leave you wanted next season. You'll get it, and I'll put that in writing if you want. You'll find me flexible in that matter, and in just about every other matter. The salary isn't much, but you'll be able to bank nearly all of it, since a nice room and food are included. Paid medical, of course. A month's paid vacation every year, although you will be required to remain here for the whole of our busy season. Muriel took a deep breath. May I have 24 hours to think it over, sir? The bartender from Wisconsin reported that Rick had not returned. She ordered another glass of wine and carried it to a chair on the beach. The sun was down, but the wind was soft and warm. Latin numbers and old-fashioned rock and roll drifted from the cabana, while a hundred thousand stars twinkling into sight like so many wildflowers opening provided a silent music of their own. An older and a sweeter music, Muriel thought, the music of the woman's dance, danced before any man had lifted his face to the sky. In time, the music from the cabana was stilled. Daylight woke her. She yawned and stretched and wondered what her friends in New York would say when she told them she had slept all night on the beach, then wondered whether she would ever see those friends again. Rick had not come, or had not wished to disturb her sleep, or had not seen her in the darkness, had perhaps simply cut through the gardens to reach the hotel. The liquor in the cabana could be locked away in wire-fronted cabinets, as it no doubt was, but the cabana itself could not be locked. It was too open and too flimsy, and there were restrooms there. When she left the cabana, a scratched and somewhat dirty Rick was striding down the beach toward her, grinning. She shouted and dashed over the sand to him, and he kissed her as he had never kissed her before, wrapping her in arms as hard and strong as oak. Oh, Rick, she said when they parted, and felt that she was faint. His laughter was thunder across the sea until they kissed again. I was afraid, so terribly, terribly afraid that I would never see you again. Make easy, lass. He held her still tighter. I'll not leave ye. 
Green, red, and swift, Laurie fluttered from the biggest tree in the garden to settle on his shoulder. Welcome back. Kind of terrifying, huh? So, yeah, when Gene Wolfe agreed to let us run the story, we were pretty happy. We were talking about a reader, and Wolfe kind of suggested that we ask Claire, which was great because that's who Anna and I were thinking of anyway. Then we got to talking about who should be the pirate. Anna said she thought I'd be perfect for reading the pirate bits, which was really kind of flattering, until you realize the pirate and said story makes Handsome Jack look... Well, cute. I mean, thanks, Anna. I'm an awful, filthy pirate. Hey, Anna, I think you'd be perfect as the queen. Queen of hearts, that is. Off of my head. Seriously, though, one thing I enjoyed about this story is how the pirate character wasn't glamorized. He was very much a monster, before he was a ghost. It's a disturbing tale, and I appreciate that. But before I become the headless pirate, how about some feedback? This week for L. Frank Baum's TikTok and the Gnome King, read by Bob Eccles, about as completely opposite of this story as we can get. It was short but sweet, a story of TikTok the Clockwork Man asking a favor of the Gnome King, and the Gnome King basically losing his temper. Good times. And it was pretty cool to see how many people enjoyed this throwback on our forum. Fire Turtle said, boy did that take me back. There was a time before Kindle, before I had an income, when I would be transported to the library by car or bicycle and check out the maximum number of children's books every week. Needless to say, I read pretty much everything in the children's section, including the Oz books. I didn't love them as much as some, but they were a part of my childhood, and it was very nice to go through the looking glass to visit that period again. Good to see some of Baum's lesser-known Oz work represented. The wizard was such a small part of the whole. Evergreen Monster said, had probably one of the worst weeks ever, and then I listened to this story, and I actually felt tons better. I didn't know I needed this, but man, I needed this. This was so much fun. I'll be honest and say that I haven't actually read any of Baum's stuff. I was absolutely horrified by The Wizard of Oz when I was little, and just never put the book on that high of a priority. I'm so changing that now. Thanks, Podcastle. Oh, thank you. And to everyone else who stopped on by, look, why don't you all come down to the open bar at forum.escapeartist.net and let us know what you thought of this week's story. You bring the rum, and I'll bring the cute little umbrellas and fruit. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. You can sign up for a subscription for as little as $2 a month, or as much as you can afford, or make a one-time donation. If you can't afford that, Help us get the word out about what we're doing on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, or any other social media platform. Blog, write reviews about us. Praise us, dastardly pirates though we may be. Thank you. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, Anne Lecky, Peter Wood, Anna Schwind, LaShawn Wanick, and myself, thank you so much for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next time with more weirdness and less pirates, sadly less rum too. Until then, this is Dave Thompson reminding you that here, there are no kings, only people, only us. We'll see you then. 
Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. I'm going to crib our closing quote from J.M. Barry, who wrote, One can mention many lovable traits in Smee. For instance, after killing, it was his spectacles he wiped instead of his weapon. Try not to bleed. We'll see you guys next time.